Welcome to the Chosen Brew Beer Podcast. My name's Ian McNally, and this is the podcast where guests talk the way through the six beers that changed everything. In this episode, I spoke with Juzzy Martin, formerly of many American-themed venues. She is American, so she's allowed, and an amazing knowledge of beer and hospitality, having worked for Stomping Ground, the local tap house, looked after the Ale Stars, and Carwin Cellars, to name a few. You're going to love it. Let's get into it. Welcome to the Chosen Brew, Josie Martin. Hello. Thank you for having me. Absolute pleasure. Now, uh, you have been somebody who I have wanted to have on the podcast for a long time, but didn't. I don't know why. Why I didn't. <laughs> no, why you uh, wanted me on the podcast. <laughs> well, you, you, you're going to, listeners will be able to recognize your um your characteristic modesty, I'm sure, throughout. Aww. But you do know a lot <laughs> I'm, about... I'm fishing. Not, yeah, not <laughs> only um, about beer, but you know a lot about hospitality, about the industry, about how everything works behind the scenes. So you have a really deep understanding about how all of these things work and lots about beer, well, which we'll, is... We'll see about that. <laughs> it's perfect for the podcast. So, um, But I wanted to have you on because uh, you are moving away from Australia. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> moving very far. Um, so it was. it's much nicer to do this um, in person than on Zoom. Agreed. Now, We've all had enough of Zoom. N- yes, yes, absolutely. First question is, where do you fit in in the beer world? What a good question. I don't know. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no jokes in this podcast. It's very serious. Yeah, very serious, very serious. <laughs> Um, no, I actually, I have been considering this a bit lately because, you know, as I said, I'm moving, going back to Boston um, in mid-June, so it's kind of coming right up. And because of that, I've been, you know, shaping up the old resume. And I think, I hope that if you're, you know, someone from Melbourne or Victoria, like, you can kind of see there's a thread there. It kind of tells a story. It makes a little sense. But I think... I looked at it with fresh eyes yesterday as like a, you know, U.S. employer. And I was like, it just looks like I'm picking things out of a hat <laughs> at some point. <laughs> kind of been all over the place. <laughs> Did it surprise you when you were doing that process? Did it surprise oh, yeah. you how much you'd done? A bit, yeah. Because, well, when it first got over here, I was on a working holiday visa. And obviously they um, cap how long you can be at one workplace. Um, and actually prior to moving here, I hadn't properly ever quit a job I kind of just moved <laughs> even my like high school <laughs> waitressing job it was like oh I'm I'm moving so otherwise I would work here till I die like that's the <laughs> did, did you tell anybody like I hadn't like I guess I had quit jobs I hadn't left a job without a reason like a physical relocation I guess okay so you know, that there's many questions yeah. why that would be. So you've basically been on the run for a, for a yeah. while. This, no, that's kind of what it sounds like. That's what I mean, though. I've watched uh, films where the same, uh, The Fugitive, I think, oh, comes yeah. to mind. But we just watched where, uh, The Born Identity. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't hold up. Yeah, 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 where people have got to keep yeah. moving town. Yeah. Um, surely it's just the adventurous soul that you are rather uh, than yeah yeah so i moved to new zealand and then i moved to australia or moved home uh back to back to boston um my family's from new hampshire but i went to uni in boston um spent some time out there and then came out um to australia and then since i was in australia i kind of started at um 
of all places, an American barbecue joint. <laughs> like, just classic. I like, Boston isn't particularly known for their barbecue at all, but people would dine at this restaurant and be like, oh wow, so authentic. Mm, great. <laughs> but they had a great beer list. Um, it was a meat mother. It was on Swan Street. May it rest in peace. <laughs> and then um, from there, because my six months were kind of up, I ended up um, venue managing their other venue, which was meat. Oh, sorry. Did those backwards. That meat maiden first. You then I went to, to really meat need mother. To get your story straight, I know, you know, mess up all my meat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then this, this is interview practice for I work know. back in the US now. I, I know. I really should have practiced. <laughs> as a side note, this is, we should. You can cut these things out. It's fine. But <laughs> as a side note, I was once a journalism major, and I used to get so nervous recording voiceovers that I would get hiccups. So the fact that I haven't yet <laughs> broken into a hiccup is really, really good. I'm doing really well. There's still, there's still time. <laughs> there's still lots so, of time, yeah. So, Got a beer too. I'm set up to fail. So meet, <laughs> meet venues uh, to begin in, yes. in Australia, but with notable beer lists. They had a great beer list, yeah. And actually, I'm pretty sure, um, I could be wrong, but I think that Tiff Waldron did it. So yeah, that was like my first kind of intro to craft beer out here was it was a curated list by by the tiff <laughs> and she wow. had done a really great job it had like the the little um swan street shop had no taps but all cans and they were just like some great like the little slimline rodenback cans that kind of stuff that no one drank but me essentially <laughs> like i sold like one a month <laughs> it was great though paired wonderfully um and yeah just a, a whole bunch of you know a richmond kind of locals at that time it was lots of mountain goat and moon dog um and what kind of year are we talking here uh 2013 wow oh okay. no 2014 yeah. sorry new zealand yeah. was 2013 <laughs> yeah and was it just for work or did you look, were you actively looking for a venue that had good beer? It was kind of just for work, to be honest. <laughs> and then yeah. I was like, oh, actually, you know, I, I really enjoy this. <laughs> so that, in, in that case, was your passion for beer, did that come, where did that fit in? in yeah. The so did, did, did that come in New Zealand? Did it come later? Did it come, it did came, it creep up on you? It did creep up on me. Yeah, it was very much. So I, um, when I was 21, I worked at a little brew pub in Boston um, called John Harvard's. It's in uh, Harvard Square in Cambridge. And, or it was, and actually, they just shut after 27 years, which is a bummer. Um, but I say it's a little brew pub because it had a little kit. Um, so maybe like the size of Fixations, kind of Smith Street kit there so it all kind of fit behind the bar it was quite cute um, but the venue itself was a 300 seater so it was really really busy and it ended up being because it was in this kind of tourist hub it ended up being a place where some people did go there for beers and the beers were really really great kind of exceptionally small batch had a hand pump all this really fun stuff um, the beers are wonderful but it wasn't necessarily why people came there and then by extension it really wasn't why people worked there kind of got a job because I needed to pay rent and I got to work with all my friends and get drunk after work. <laughs> it was really, really fun. <laughs> um, and then it kind of accidentally set the cadence for the whole rest of my career, which is quite interesting. I learned a lot there on accident, I think, like kind of despite my best efforts. <laughs> I, was, I was in uni at the time and I was really busy and, um, you know, I, I used to go to go to college and then go to internship and then go straight to close the bar kind of thing like I don't know how I did it but it was kind of the last priority but then after working there for six months or so you kind of turn around and you're like oh actually there's 
this wealth of knowledge. I now know how to change a keg or I know, you know, what a real ale is and I can tell people about it. And, you know, I'm really up on tasting notes and I can kind of recommend these beers um, to other people because they come, come in saying, I drink this and I drink that. But we didn't actually stock anything other than the brew pub's beers. So it was very much like finding an equivalent. It was like a crash course in that, I guess. Um, yeah. Well, heaps of people have that hospo experience when they're studying earlier on in their life and then that's it yeah they get a proper job yeah <laughs> so, so my, it, my mom's still waiting for me to get a proper yeah, yeah, job yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yes i think a lot of uh, our moms are still waiting for, uh, yeah. <laughs> for a proper job um did you get a taste for that kind of lifestyle that you wanted to continue it or did you just was it just by extension that you happened to fall into it? Was yeah. it design or was it uh, necessity? I guess a bit of both. Like I, um, I went to a really small kind of liberal arts um, college, sorry, uni in um, in the middle of Boston, and they really kind of focused on like uh, their wide kind of hippie trippy majors. So like I have a degree in writing literature and publishing, which I don't know what anyone's doing with that, but. Actually, no, that's a lie. Some, I went to uni with some great people who were doing great things. <laughs> <laughs> but for me, I kind of left saying, well, I might um, kind of pursue graphic design as a course and, and kind of really go down that path. And I freelanced for a bit, um, moved out to New Zealand kind of on a whim, which worked out really well. Met my now husband there. <laughs> um, but yeah, hospitality was always like a thing to fall back on. You could kind of take it anywhere and particularly... Um, with those working holiday visas, it's really hard to get an office job when you have to say, I can only be here for six months. I promise you I'm great. You'll love me. Keep me. Yeah. <laughs> so, who wants yeah. to work in and an office? Well, I mean, exactly. <laughs> getting drunk after work in an exactly. office is awful. It's, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's not a venue built for after exactly. knockoff drinks. It's terrible. Um, Okay, well, let's start. Uh, well, actually, no, we should talk about. Oh, I know, I'm all over the place. Sorry. Well, no, no, that's my it's my job to keep track of your CV. <laughs> um, where are you up to now in terms of? Obviously, you are um, moving back to the US shortly. Mm-hmm. Um, but what has your work situation been like in the last couple of years? Uh, leading up to that? Yeah, so I, so from, from the barbecue joints, I went over and ended up um, venue managing a pub in the city called the Metropolitan Hotel. Um, it was phenomenal. Again, that one actually just, the lease was up um, at the end of May 2020. And for obvious reasons, they did not renew. It's in <laughs> so, Queen Street, is that? Uh, is that yeah, up on William, William yeah. yeah. Uh, William and Little Igon. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Think uh, about that. Little Lonsdale. Oh my God, yeah. I had to think about that for a second. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and the owner there um, is a really good friend of mine now. Her name is Mel. She's actually opening a new venue in Brunswick East named Teller. It's going to be amazing. I digress. Wow. Um, but so I worked with her for a couple years and then kind of thought, okay, I can continue venue managing and that's kind of what I will do. Or I can take a step back and I think maybe this isn't quite for me. Um, yeah, I kind of wanted to sidestep a little bit. And so I went to Stomping Ground and was their functions and events manager there for a few years. And um, maybe a year or so in, I took on the local tap house as well, kind of did more of a group events type role, um, which is where I met you. <laughs> and uh, yeah, handled the Ale Stars. That was quite fun. Um, 
And then from there, I moved over to Made in the Shade. So I thought, I'm going to get out of beer for a minute. Like, I, you know, I've done this for a while, and we'll just see what kind of comes up. And again, I took an events role with Made in the Shade, and they're phenomenal. They're um, Bar Margot, Heartbreaker, um, The Everly, that group there. And that was great. And I was with them for about a year. I probably still would be with them, to be honest, except for COVID hit. And I don't know. If you, I don't know if you realize, it kind of decimated the events industry. <laughs> I've, I've, heard of, I've heard of COVID. Yeah, are, you, are you familiar yeah, with I've seen that? It. Yeah. I, saw, I think I've seen it on the news. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, so all of a sudden went from having a kind of robust calendar of events to go through. And um, we had big, big plans. Actually, the Everly turns 10 this year. So lots mm. of things kind of in the works that were all kind of shut off right from go. Um, and I actually, because of my visa status, don't get any government assistance or anything like that. Um, so I ended up having to look for a role, which led me to Carwin Cellars, which is where I am now. So right back into beer, and I love it. They're, they're great over there. It's been really fun. Started with them um, in August of 2020. And now here we are. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, anyone uh, familiar with craft beer in Melbourne will certainly know a Carwin Cellars yeah, and all great. the wonderful things they do. <laughs> Um, and it's great to hear that you're back in beer. Yeah, um, it's been nice, actually. And other things as yeah. well, like Carwin do, not just beer. Yeah. Let's get started with choice one. All right. So, choice one, I have got um, the John Harvard's West Coast IPA. So this is, again, that little brew pub um, that I worked at in Harvard Square. And so it's kind of an unfair first one because no one would have had this beer unless you... I don't know, frequented the Cambridge area in 2011. <laughs> but um, it was, it's kind of one of those beers that set a trajectory. It was really, I think it, I think it actually had a similar hop build to like Racer 5 IPA. Mm. Like, so it was just a really classic West Coast, very resiny, super piney and delicious. And um, I just drank a lot of it. And so it was kind of at this point, I wouldn't have identified as like a craft beer drinker. It was more just... I was 21, so I drank what was in front of me type thing. So that was kind of the start of the creep. Yeah, the creep, because exactly. Because it was like, yeah. in the nicest sense. Yeah. That sounds horrible, actually, when I think about it. But you, you, you unwittingly had the access to this high-quality exactly. IPA. yeah. And you enjoyed it. I loved it. didn't think too much about it. No, not at all. And it was, um, like I said, I went to a really, really small school. No kind of fraternity, sorority type Greek life there. Um, very typical of us to have that um but my friends did so my friends went to like a big state school and i remember going um for the weekend up to university of new hampshire and just like drinking my weight in natty ice which is like just i don't know what the equivalent here is it's i don't know just basically water i guess (laughs) (laughs) i was really hoping that there wasn't an equivalent because it sounds dreadful yeah it's pretty bad um but you know like drank it the whole weekend and then had got back to my flat and i ended up having a growler of this west coast ipa in the fridge cracked it open it was like this is actually what i want to drink and then kind of from then on i was a bit more conscious about what i was choosing to drink not in not again not really meaning to just kind of creeps up on you in that way as craft does the craft creep and when you were choosing these six beers was was that one that came straight to your mind yeah that was like the first one that popped right in and then everything else is really hard (laughs) (laughs) well this this is what makes a good beer journey yeah Um, a very well thought out one um in the u.s obviously at that time you know we're only talking what 2011 Mm -hmm. 
so 10 years ago. Yep. But they were light years ahead of Australia in 2011. Now you're going back yeah. this year. What do you think you'll you'll find when you go back? Do you, do you think because people talk yeah. about going back to the US because they want the most happening recent um, you know crazy beers and also the you know America US are seen as the benchmark for a lot of craft uh, beers so do you think you'll be slightly disappointed when you go back as Australia yeah I mean uh, push the certainly benchmark? yeah um, I would say yeah it's, it's an interesting one I'd say in the last I've, I've been here for seven years and I'd say in the last five Australia has just like kicked it into mm. hyperdrive really like when I first got out here and 2014, June 2014, and I remember thinking, okay, I had just been in New Zealand, and New Zealand kind of felt like five to six years behind the U.S., and so if that's the scale, then Australia was like 15. <laughs> it was like they were just way, way, you know, and, and trying and doing great. Um, smaller population, all that kind of thing. I mean, not to New Zealand, but to, to the U.S., um, and you kind of just chalk it up to that, like, oh, they'll, they'll get there. And I kind of just didn't think I'd see it because the first time I moved out here, we kind of thought, we'll be here for a year. And then we thought, we'll be here for two years. And then here we are. <laughs> Again, it's the creep. Yes, yes, that new creep. <laughs> like the, yeah. the clutches. Um, yeah, and in that time, it's been really amazing. Like, I, I really remember, like, going to bar I, we lived in Elwood at the time I remember going to bars like in St. Kilda going to Ackland Cellars and buying like all these U.S. beers and like they'd get a shipment of something really great you get Cascade and stuff which obviously people would still get really excited for when those things come over um, but it's just different now I think in terms of hoppy beers yeah. especially like you kind of don't need to look further it's like why why would you look for an imported beer that will be a little bit older when you've got really great fresh stuff right on your doorstep and um, that's been really great that's been fun to see yeah, it's really interesting. I, yeah. I think that I uh, think that recently there was a shipment from a well thought after New York brewery that came over. And I was kind of thinking, yeah, it'd be really nice to try these beers. They've been cold shipped. They're very, very expensive. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm kind of thinking, are they really going to be that much better than what is local exactly yeah i think the difference is like now it's it's good to have as a treat and it's good you know for me for nostalgia's sake like we just got a heap of allagash in from um maine and just my, my new england heart just swelled <laughs> that was great to see at carwin that was really fun um but yeah it's more of a nostalgic thing and not necessarily drinking it because you can't get the equivalent somewhere else no. yeah i do i there was a a beer on uh, Freddie Wimpole's a uh, couple of years ago when it was from a Liverpool brewery which is almost unheard of that you'd see a, a, a beer in Australia from, mm -hmm. from my home city um, I got really it wasn't great <laughs> but it was, the, it was yeah. just the connection I was convincing myself that this oh, is yeah. the best beer I've ever drank um, yeah. now that beer brewery is now defunct uh, I think the owner uh, when it went under posted that uh, that's what you get when you have a communist who runs a business. <laughs> so oh. I thought that was, that was a very fine tweet that's, to yeah. end your business. What a great note to um, go out on, yeah. <laughs> so, choice two. Choice two. So, again, we're still hanging out in, in 2011. Still young. I've decided that I love beer. I'm so old now, right? I've <laughs> decided that I'm, I'm really into the craft beer thing. Um, 
And this one is kind of just like my ode to Charlie's Kitchen, which is a little bar around the corner from the bar that I worked at where everyone would kind of go and have knockoffs. And it was um, the kind of place where you could go. Like I, I used to race there after work. You'd kind of race to get to the kitchen before it closed because Boston, everything closes a little bit early. You can't really find food or anything after 1230 or 1. Um, so you kind of race over find a seat, order a grilled cheese and a red stripe and a shot of Jameson and you'd hand them $20 and they'd give you like a heap of change back. <laughs> it was like just one of those wonderful, wonderful little gems of a place. Like I make a, I make a point to go kind of every time we go back um, and yeah, we'll, we'll do now. Um, <laughs> but that's kind of, that's, that's Charlie's at night, I would say, but Charlie's in the afternoon. They've got a really lovely uh, beer garden and a great bottle list. So this is another like place of firsts for me. Like I remember, they always had like left hand milk stout. They had um, I don't know, just like heaps of like I think it was the first time I tried Oscar Blues and stuff would be there. But my second beer is um, Unibrew La Fin du Monde. So I'm putting a Canadian beer on the list. I'm very disappointed <laughs> it wasn't Red Stripe. By the way, I know <laughs> just, just glazed. Right? I drank yeah. a lot of Red Stripe there. It probably should have been <laughs> in like the tiny little bottles. Do yeah, like a short yeah, stubby. Yeah. yeah. Oh, loved them. <laughs> <laughs> but Amazing. yeah, this one is, I think this was the first time that I was like, oh, okay. Like I, I actually really like a triple. It's very, uh, classic kind of, it's true to style. That one really big on like banana and clove and, um, like really coriander and stuff. And I think that once I kind of got beyond that level of basic knowledge, um, I figured out that some of these beers were kind of quite divisive and not everyone's into them and you know people like what they like and so it was it was kind of the first time that I can remember having like a real oh I'm gonna I'm gonna have that I'm gonna I'm gonna that's gonna be my beer that I drink kind of when I'm here for lunch type thing so that's also, an it's nine percent though so yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so that's an interesting point though because there's a point where you start recognizing that you're a bit different because you do like something that isn't mainstream. When you find out that you're the chosen brew. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then you find out that you're going to cut some friends off. <laughs> you're carrying wastage. Like, you can't have, you know, if, you're, if, if your friends are buying jugs of, uh, you know, Miller Lite, <laughs> then you, you're not in on that. So yeah, then you yeah. become a fringe character in the group. Or you're just the asshole in the round. Like, yeah. oh, I'll have this one. Yeah, <laughs> and they're like, no, that's like $4 yeah. extra. Um, so... You know, you, did you notice, was this, at what point did you kind of notice or that you, was it an issue in the US where you'd actually choose a venue that you knew had good beer in or do, do most venues have good most beer so you don't do, have to yeah. have that divide? I think that that's probably, when we talk about what I'm excited to go back to, I think Australia is headed this way, but just the way that kind of tap contracts and things are set up are, is different here so I can imagine that it might take a little longer to get to this point but in the states there's a lot of a lot of hyper local so like it's you don't actually have to go far to get a craft beer everywhere everywhere will have mainstream like you can get your you know your Bud Light or your Coors or that kind of thing wherever but you can also just find um, a really short sharp concise or giant <laughs> depending on where you are list of really hyper local beverages so you kind of get a real sense of place when you go to different bars and that is always really fun I think because Australia in some ways uh, and, and let's talk about Melbourne specifically apologies uh, listeners elsewhere <laughs> um, but venues 
there's there's this kind of paradox because venues uh, like the local tap house mm-hmm. benefit hugely that uh, they're one of the few venues who are doing what they do still. Yeah. And if we move to a US model, then there's going to be many venues doing that, and then you lose your points of difference. Yeah. In yeah. the market, so um, that is a really interesting conundrum, I think, to because it still exists in Melbourne. Absolutely, absolutely that. You know, you f- you'll text a friend where you're going, we'll meet here. And yeah. be like, no, I won't. <laughs> and know, I guess or it's, it's, we'll meet yeah. next door. Or. It's not even a conscious thing, I don't feel mm. like, in the States. Like, you can go to, you know, you go to Fenway Park, you go to Stadium, and, like, the beers are amazing. I remember taking um, Blair, my, my partner there, and it blew his mind. He was like, I'm sorry, I can order, you know, a 500 mil can of Allagash just walking up to the bar <laughs> this is great <laughs> you know and it's it's those sorts of things that kind of stand out and I don't think that um I don't think it's necessarily unique to the U.S. in particular I think it's just unique to some place that's been doing craft beer for as long as they have like I think it, it becomes kind of part of the the culture and part of the fabric and it's just a little bit easier to come by maybe when they're when you are spoiled for choice which then in turn makes it a little bit harder for breweries because you're spoiled for choice but so it's kind of <laughs> yeah well it's the flip it's de- side i guess <laughs> yeah it's definitely uh something that australia uh you know has to consider it's probably wise if you're in the industry to start considering that now yeah <laughs> have <exactly>. a plan <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> yeah. try and see where things are going um you might have first starter advantage and reputation and things like that but um, yeah, it'd be very interesting and to see that. Yeah, things change. Things change really quickly over here. I think that's probably been the real benefit to being out in Australia for kind of a more prolonged period of time is I've got to watch breweries that maybe I, I wouldn't have had in my fridge now or like a staple, like that sort of thing. Um, mm. Really kind of turn their act around, I guess. <laughs> and, yes. then the, and then the flip side is true. There are beers that I would have really, really loved when I first got here that maybe have fallen off the wayside. So like nothing's set in stone and... Yeah, yeah. fashions and taste change very, very quickly. We're a fickle bunch. (laughs) We are. um, I think promiscuous consumers (laughs) is the the, uh, way to put it, but um, again, problematic. Um, (laughs) Choice three. Choice three. So this one is um, Fancy Pants Rare Breed by Mountain Goat. So I'm going, now we're in New Zealand, oddly, picking an Australia Australian beer for when we're in New Zealand. Um, and actually, I drank this the first night that I met Blair. So, quite cute. Um, he, Blair being your husband, not husband, the former yeah. Prime Minister of the UK. Yeah, yes, yeah. 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 Just, just check. Obviously, yeah. I always need to clarify that I don't mean the former Prime Minister. I mean, that would be great for the podcast if it was. I it would have. If Tony Blair was if, there, if yeah. Tony Blair yeah. bought me a Drinking beer. Yeah. yeah, very, very entertaining. Yeah. Um, so, the, so this is a, this is a romantic story it about beer is quite and cute. first love. This yeah. is great. Um, yeah, except I'm a little hazy on the details. <laughs> so I, I maintained for a really long time that it was high tail. So similar, similar, you know, this one's a red, that one's a ESB, I think. Right? Yeah. I think so, yeah. yeah. Um, and Blair was like, no, no, this, I bought you this beer. I had just finished work. Like, we were real excited. We got, like, one case kind of over from Australia. At the time, we worked at a little bar um, in Wellington called the Hop Garden. Like, fantastic. Re- like, think like 
tap house only, only we. <laughs> it's just like just a little bit small, and it's really really cute. Um, very good use of we as well. Uh, very yeah. New Zealand, uh, yeah. ki- Kiwi themes. Yeah, just we. <laughs> um, yeah, that was an odd move for me actually. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, so we kind of got to talking, hit it off real well, and and shared this large format beer. And I remember being like, oh, that's cool. And I just think it's looking back on it, I think it's really quite cute that our first beer together was an Australian beer and now we've been out here for a while but couldn't really tell you what it tasted like I can't remember I know I loved it I'm a big fan of red IPAs and that kind of they were red ales um but yeah it was just of its time I guess (laughs) it's a good case I think of craft beer bringing people together exactly exactly can you imagine the same over a red stripe no (laughs) yep (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, look, uh, probably a red stripe with a shot of Jameson's would be uh, <laughs> loosen things up. But I think um, I suppose that having somebody where the beer is cause for conversation as well. Yeah. Like the curiosity. I think that's one of the big things about craft, isn't it? It's just the curiosity about it. Yeah, the definitely. kind of problem solving, the um, the fact that the beer itself is a, is a question. It's not just there in the background. Exactly. So... Yeah. And amazing that mountain goats in New Zealand as well. I know. And it's so funny too. Like I, because one, I was convinced that it was actually high tail and I was looking it up and no, no, there's the bottle and it says right on it, you know, 2013. <laughs> so it all, all added up in player's favor. Um, but yeah, it was just quite funny to think that. And I remember um, there were a few places that had like little creatures you could find and stuff like that. So I remember trying Australian beers just out of curiosity, but it's kind of like, why would you at that point? Well, maybe, <laughs> There's lots going on in New Zealand. Yeah, whereabouts in New Zealand was it? Uh, Wellington. Wellington. Yeah. So uh, I, it's, I suppose I should share as well that uh, in the same year, 2013, I married my wife and the reception was at Mountain Goat. Oh my God, really? <laughs> oh, yeah, so, well, that's just a little so bit there cute. We go. <laughs> so Mountain Goat bringing romance up. Probably They're a, a beautiful up. wedding venue. Well yeah, done. Oh, it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was great. Um, and uh, bring in romance, mountain goats. Exactly. Uh, be- probably before the buyout. Ma- yeah, Ma- <laughs> mountain goats for lovers. <laughs> Was. <laughs> no, actually, I, they're probably a really good example of, I digress a bit, but like they're a good example of a brewery that's been bought out and I still think is doing great things. We've got no problem with kind of where they sit in the market right now. Yeah, and I, I think there's a strong argument for um, mountain goats doing a bit of the legwork to get people into craft as well. Definitely. And to jump over and have something a bit different. I probably would be slightly nitpicking and, and critical of the the core range as I think maybe is not quite up to what it was yeah, when yeah. those beers came out. But the rare breed, the one-offs have maintained quality right throughout, which I think is, is great uh, because that's something that can be lost, um, that creativity, I suppose. But... Um, we're, we're recording this uh, by a train. <laughs> we, we picked somewhere quiet. We thought the terminus, but it's the clue's in a name, isn't it? Really, it's a terminus, it's a which terminus, there's yeah. going to be public transport. <laughs> the football's going to be on in a moment. Um, someone was shouting um, swear words before, yeah. <laughs> so they might all come through. But it adds to the rich atmospheric exactly. background. <laughs> Hello, uh, just a quick interruption with this excellent episode with Josie Martin. Uh, just to remind you, if you haven't signed up to the Chosen Brews mailing list, uh, there's going to be some 
things happening very soon. So make sure uh, you sign up. You'll be the first to hear. I won't bombard you with emails. I simply haven't got the time. I'll only send meaningful ones every now and again. Uh, so just log on to thechosenbrewau.com and you can be prompted to fill out that form. And if you've already done that, sorry for the interruption. Let's get back into it. Juzzy's way more interesting. So, Josie, we are at the Terminus. I mistakenly said, should I meet you at the Terminus Clifton Hill? Because all the signs say that it would be in Clifton Hill, technically North Fitzroy. That's all right. I got the, I got the gist. Yes. <laughs> so. For, actually, I was very close to getting off my bus, and I was like, oh, no, what if he meant Abbotsford? <laughs> so I scroll back up. Yeah, yeah, there is the, the Terminus in Abbotsford. But, uh, yeah, this is... A great pub to uh, to record in. Hopefully, you can hear the ambient sound. That the football's about to kick off. I think in a in a few minutes. There we but go. we will soldier on. We're going to go <laughs> to uh, choice four. Choice four. Yeah. <laughs> this is my only job on the podcast <laughs> is to talk is to just say six numbers. I don't know why I struggle with that. Difficult. It's difficult. Choice four. Choice Much four. more confident and definite that time. I have gone with a black IPA. Shock horror. Um, <laughs> I picked a pot kettle black by Yeasty Boys. Love that beer. I love it so much. <laughs> I'm so happy that you've chosen a black IPA. I'm also really intrigued by the more modern uh, iterations of black IPA where they're not called black IPAs. They're called dark, robust oh, beers exactly. and yeah, things like that. Yeah, yeah. Black IPA is kind of people don't buy them they don't buy them yeah i think that it's i don't know i'd be anxious to see like what because obviously everything's cyclical and like hazies are really big now but like you know west coast have a little resurgence and like i just have a feeling that the black ipa's little heyday in australia is like it's around the corner yeah well like figuratively it might be like five years but it's yeah. coming it's coming well it is encouraging <laughs> to see a brewery like brick lane brought out revolver yeah exactly a black ipa yeah doesn't say black ipa in the can <laughs> of course it's incognito um but a great black ipa and the yeasty boys one is great and Love it. i remember what year did you did you first have that can you remember uh, 2013 so it would have been when oh, i was wow. in new zealand yeah okay so uh i think around that time probably one of the more prominent black ipas in australia certainly in melbourne was kuinda oh yeah, yeah, yeah. black ipa i, I think one. that was very divisive because it was quite on the medicinal side of yeah black ipas no, it was I like less roasty roasty yeah fruity that black yeah. forest gatto type of uh yeah that is again quite uh unusual beer to be getting into uh at this stage where you seeking out beers and just basically an open book where you're just trying anything and everything or were you pretty much yeah i um i worked at a little again like an american themed restaurant (laughs) (laughs) sweet mother's kitchen it's in courtney place love it sweet Um, mother's kitchen that is (laughs) it was uh nola new orleans themed um a great like selling selling po boys and everyone would be like oh wow you're from the states yeah not that part <laughs> but yeah you know it <laughs> doesn't matter played does right it? into it um it's great yeah. though um and they had again no no taps that are really concise kind of 
bottle fridge, uh, bottle and can fridge. And I love that in a venue. I just think like when you have a really small venue like that, like I obviously drinking things on tap is great, but I think it's so interesting to see what people choose to put on a bottle list, like what they're kind of committing to rotate through. And you end up getting like, I think more, more fun and more variety just by the nature of like having, you can buy one case instead of committing to a keg and I always find that a little bit fun. So um, I think you can also, ma- you know, from a practical point of view, just manage stock a little oh, better. Exactly. But also, yeah. you, so you can put like a special on yeah. on a Tuesday, you know, to kind of <laughs> exactly. think that's been in the fridge a while. We yeah. need to get rid of that, <laughs> exactly, you know, because exactly. it's quite visual. Whereas yeah. a keg of beer, you can't see through a keg. Yeah, you might have an idea of how much is left, but uh, yeah, it does seem for a small venue as well. Yeah, exactly. So this one ended up being. Um, what I would drink for a knockoff most days but I um when I first got there <laughs> I actually really love so Tui it's like T-U-I not not two E's mm. but Tui I remember drinking a lot of that one it was like five bucks a bottle or something and I was like do you know what this is great I'm all about it and at this point I was you know not too much of like a craft beer snob or anything but like knew what I liked and <laughs> Tui's just one of them loved it and I remember someone I worked with being like this is like the Bud Light over here. This is like the, like, this is not, you, there's better things on this list. And I was like, you clearly have never had Bud Light. <laughs> I love the delicious. way that this person was translating to yeah. you in a language that you would understand. Yeah, pretty much. Like, <laughs> like, you can do better. You can do better. So she started, like, we'd try a different beer every every day for my knockoff instead i'm like okay well, get off get off the tui basically <laughs> it'll be there it'll yeah, it'll, it's not going away it's not, going anywhere, it's not limited yeah. edition so with that and um yeah i just kind of got down the list to to pkb and then didn't move from there <laughs> i just i love that beer i love it so much <laughs> it's just one of those ones where i like it and i and since in the years since when i've gone back to new zealand for visits and things like that it's like i i taste it and it just takes me right back to like a time and place and i think that that's kind of the coolest thing about taste and memory and how how linked those beers can be to like a mm. really specific time like i feel like i can like smell jerk chicken when I drink one of those just like by nature of being in that weird little venue that I loved but are you are you, you weren't criticizing the brewing process no, there no. oh no 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 yeah. <laughs> just the, just the atmosphere I'd of love the, to see uh, a scandal venue. where they're using chicken stock yeah. in, the, in the beer uh, so. you know what it would probably sell yeah yeah I'm sure. Not sure uh I think this is really the the sweet spot of this podcast is the beer that you remember that changed something doesn't have to be great. Oh, exactly. <laughs> it's just yeah. a moment in time. It's just, it's a moment just in like, time. Uh, uh, do, you, do you think. Like, um, I almost put Tui as this one, and I was like, mm, okay. <laughs> yeah, well, do you get in the US um, when you go back to. I mean, what the imported beers tend to be quite mainstream. Do you, have you heard of any, you know, Australian breweries or New Zealand breweries doing, you know, like the way we would get a US cold shipment of exciting beers. Does that happen in the US? Uh, uh, do you know, are you aware of... I think West Coast, yes, um, to, to an extent. And then East Coast, we, we get a heap of like European stuff, I would say. Um, but it ends up being, again, like no one's really 
it's been a long time since I've been there, um, for, like lived there for real. Um, but from my memory, no one's really importing anything like hoppy per se. Kind of mm. got that on lock, but it'll be your sours, lots of barrel aged things, um, really kind of just general deliciousness mm. <laughs> um, in that regard. But yeah, it's, I guess it's more so something that they import and then it just lives on the list a little more versus making a really big fuss about it the way that we would out here. It's yeah. not like you'd, you'd drop X amount of really, really exciting beers that have just come in. I think it's more just, this is now what we stock for a little while. And then the list changes again. And yeah. And it'll be interesting to see whether um, the reputation of Australian beer has changed at all. Yeah, for sure. Depends with the people you speak with, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, but certainly in the UK, uh, you know, beers like Stone and Wood, Little Creatures, uh, Wildflower for beer nerds oh, in the UK. I think they've had a couple of shipments of Wildflower. Yeah, and it, it's I can see that going like really cakes. well. Yeah. Um, so it's really interesting that um, how Australian beer, you know, obviously moving away from the whole crocodile Dundee fosters <laughs> fosters um, oh my god yeah you know, just that rage uh, it's that, I think the word fosters set that dog off yeah. <laughs> I hope it's not Mick Dundee's dog um, choice five um, so this one is Maui Brewing's uh, Hibiscus Sour I think it has an actual name, but I just remember it as a hibiscus sour. Um, my brother lives in Maui, actually, and we kind of went out in 2018 for a little bit of like a belated honeymoon type thing and visited family and hung out in Maui, and it was amazing. Um, and I just I fell in love with this brewery. It was... I hadn't really had any of their stuff. I think we get like, um, they do like a coconut porter or that kind of stuff that does get exported quite a bit. I see that around. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting the keywords that are setting people off. Yeah. Setting dogs off with Fosters, coconut porter, (laughs) setting a human off. Me too, sir. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so, but we went out to the brewery and... um, did a little brew tour just kind of it was something to do on the day I guess and it, once you've been kind of at this for a while you I know how a brewery operates and you kind of you've seen one you've seen them all sort of thing um, it's really cool to kind of take a peek but we went and did the full tour and, you know they give you the goggles take you to the production facility and it blew my mind they are completely sustainable they at the time that we were there they bought all these like giant Tesla batteries and they were working on being off the grid and now they are completely off the grid. And I just remember thinking like, what a cool model. And like they had so much solar because Hawaii, <laughs> like what a cool model for what Australian breweries can be doing. And I think that a lot of them are kind of working towards that, but it was just great to see it in, in kind of process. They recycle all their CO2 even. They do like a house-made soda with it. They had been starting to distill and they do all the seltzers and all that good stuff. Um, But it was just really, really cool to see them being completely independent and really, really giving giving a shit essentially about their environment instead of just kind of... So they run the whole production facility off-grid? Entire thing. Yeah, so they, I think... I can't remember the stats now. I think at the time it was 80% of their energy or something came from solar, something like that. 
Someone can Google it. I don't know. Jo- <laughs> Josie, now- what, what happens when it gets dark? <laughs> what happens when the sun doesn't well, shine or the wind batteries. doesn't blow? <laughs> <laughs> That's their whole thing. They've got these big, big, enormous batteries that I can't even pretend to imagine how much they cost. But it, again, it was like you could just tell it was such an investment in the way that they cho- chose to operate. And it was so wonderful to see. And the beers were great. And that beer I drank a whole lot of. <laughs> it's, it's interesting that it's... I don't necessarily think it's a dirty secret but it's something that i don't think we talk enough about is how energy intensive the production of beer is oh absolutely from from the very start for all of the agricultural ingredients and then the production washing bottles cans whatever it the the whole process is using heaps of water energy and you know, roasting barley, roasting malt. Absolutely. Everything yeah. about it consumes energy every step of the way. And then we cold chip it or yep. take it in freight, <laughs> exactly. which takes huge energy. And then we're putting it in fridges, yep. which take it, the whole process. But you put it in a can, so you recycle that. And then <laughs> yes, we, yeah, and yeah, then we yeah, feel yeah, really yeah, good yeah, about yeah. it. <laughs> to hear of an example, it would be, I'd love to know the economics of, of a, a business like that, but surely that's going to become more accessible it's got to be something that we have a will to do as well and then people also realize i know there's breweries who are conscious of it who are trying to make strides particularly uh stone and wood comes yeah. to mind is really trying to reduce the water usage but also make themselves more sustainable um but it, yeah it is a real struggle i i do think i sometimes feel that um all countries do this whereas that they become quite insular about you know they get involved in what they're doing what's happened locally but i think that's a perfect example of let's have a look at what's happening elsewhere yeah absolutely. not just about what their beer tastes like yeah which was delicious it, yeah <laughs> but how it's made how yeah. how we can become um you know i i'm not a big fan of elon musk <laughs> but maybe I, I don't know if the owner of Duracell what, he, what, yeah. they're, what, what they're doing, but maybe, um, anyway, we digress. Choice six. So this last one, I had to think a lot about, and they're, the things I cut off of this list are nuts, but, but I couldn't possibly go beyond Stomping Grounds Hop Stomper IPA. So again, it's all it was an exercise in nostalgia, really. I feel like I was just taken right back to all these different points in, in my life and all these different decisions to continue drinking craft beer and et cetera, et cetera. But this one, I just feel like is my, like, I call it my, like, Dua Lipa beer because it's my, like, future nostalgia. <laughs> 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 I just feel and know that, you know, six months, one year, two years from now, I will be sat very, very far away wishing that I had a Homestopper in my, in my hand. <laughs> you you- I was going to say there's something quite unique about it, that beer and I just checked myself but I think there is in there's so many IPAs out there yeah. but that is an IPA personally that I go back to or I just think particularly if you've had quite a few different beers and you see that on tap that is like an ultimate cleanser oh absolutely and just like sharp it's fruity, hoppy, piney. And uh, coincidentally, actually, when I interviewed Cassie O'Neill at Stomping Ground, 
when we finished the uh, the episode, and please do go back and listen, Cassie said, "Oh, we've got this beer coming out next week," and it was Hop, Hop Stomper. There you go. In those purple cans. Yep. And yeah, it's fantastic. The original iteration of Hop Stomper was called um, One-Eyed IPA. Really glad they didn't stick with that one. <laughs> like they had Why? like the hot, the tap badges and everything all done up, but by the time we made it to can, they'd scrapped it. <laughs> yeah, hops off is uh, yeah pretty far, good, far pretty superior. good name. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you said this was a fairly nostalgic beer. Obviously, you work for Stomping Grounds, local tap house, uh, Ale Stars as well. I think what you do particularly well is you understand the value of relationships. Thank you. In not just in beer, but in life. <laughs> like it's it's that's kind of important. Can you talk a little bit about how you do that in hospitality and why it's important? Because I think it's yeah. it's probably something at the forefront of what you do yeah. in your minds, the way that you greet people, invite people, you know, share with people um, and your, your persona some of that is obviously just because you're a nice person and your personality but part of it yeah, yeah yeah but part of it is your is your professionalism yeah. and your approach and it's something that you know that that works if anybody's listening who uh obviously there's quite a few people who work in hospitality who think well I'd like to get a bit better at that or I'd like some of that as well or I'd like some confirmation that what I'm doing works yeah yeah how how what can you talk Ooh. about in that respect I think it's a good question actually um not actually sorry you ask very good questions in general <laughs> but um no I think that it just kind of comes down to when when you're relationship building in any aspect is just recognizing that the day that you're having kind of doesn't matter <laughs> when you're when you're in that professional environment I mean that with like all sorts of of love you know obviously like you matter and, and your feelings matter but really if you're in a professional hospitality environment they the person at your table might be you know the 900th person that you've seen who's asked the same question in, in the last week but it's the first time that they're there and they're curious and they want to know more about the, the venue or the dish or the beer or whatever it is. And I think there's just a real difference between the, the way that you deliver information and I think the way that you kind of connect with people and just taking that extra second. Like, I think you can always really tell when someone's very stressed on the floor in any environment and that's fine. Things that are very stressful at times and like, and bar staff and wait staff like it's it's crazy the amount of stuff that they juggle on any given time but I think just taking a minute to kind of compose yourself before entering those conversations is always just really helpful can we talk we talked uh, I used the word dirty secret before but it's something that we don't really like to think about either which I'm going to ask you about which is to do with the power dynamic in hospitality is when you're a server you're serving somebody there is an unequal sometimes an unequal power dynamic there um, which is weighted towards the consumer and very much against the person serving yeah uh, which makes me personally feel very uncomfortable absolutely yeah um, because I think it should be uh, an equal obviously uh, a transaction <laughs> it just happens to be a transaction that you know yeah 
is there a difference that you see between America and Australia in that power dynamic in terms of the way um, staff are remunerated? But also, is there any ways that you found useful to get over that barrier and deal with that power dynamic? Yeah, so I mean, particularly in in the US, it's, it's horrendous. It's, um, <laughs> it's very much um, weighted to the consumer because the consumer is paying your wage. Like I, at that bar that I referenced before, I think I got paid, I think the minimum wage at the time was like 2.75 an hour for a tip server. So maybe like once a month, I would get like 12 cents deposited into my account because it would all go to tax. But then you walk away with your tips at the end of the night. So it's really just volatile and it's it creates like an us versus them environment that I think is definitely easier to get away from out here. It still happens, which is really mm. unfortunate. And I think that's kind of the case with with anything, it's, it could be bar bar versus customer, or it can be you know brewer versus consumer. I think there's like a real us versus them mentality sometimes, which can be it creeps up on you and it gets you know, creeps again, <laughs> gets gets quite nasty. And I think that it's something to really be conscious of. And I think if you're aware of it and you if you see it when other people are doing it, then you're less likely to kind of do it yourself. It takes so much more energy. <laughs> to feed into that negativity. Um, but at the same time, I could, yeah, do an entire other podcast on the horrendous people that I've waited on in the US <laughs> and Australia. There's a few. Look, <laughs> we, we can do that. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, is there any tips that you would give? Not tips, but <laughs> that's the wrong phrase. <laughs> Very punny. A lot of you. Yeah. A lot of people who are listening to this podcast may never have worked in hospitality. So they've never been on the other side of the fence. And I'm in that as well. Is there anything you would say to me as a consumer? How can I make your life better as a as hospitality? Oh, it's a, it's a good question. I'm sure there are many, but for some reason, the, the easiest one that comes to mind is just that the the answer to how are you is not, or like, you know, how are you going or whatever, is not, yeah, I'll have a pale ale. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's like the quickest one I can think of, but I'm sure there are many. <laughs> and I think it's more just, um, I guess, recognizing that you you all have the same goal. Like your, your wait staff wants you to have an amazing night. Your bartender wants you to have so much fun. And so do you. And that's kind of just if you get off on the right foot <laughs> there's really nothing stopping that or also just knowing i think particularly in australia i've noticed this more is like it's it's a real art form to cutting people off out here i think that in <laughs> in the states you kind of i don't know people are maybe more so used to it but there's there seems to almost be like a real ego about it out here and maybe that feeds into like a a different conversation kind of about drinking culture in general but i think when you say cutting people off it's it's stopping it's serving stopping them alcohol service, putting because them they've on had water too is too that many. whole yeah. thing yeah. yeah and i think it's more it feeds into that same thing where it's you know if, if your bartender is cutting you off it's it's not for no reason it's not because they don't like what you look like it's because they want you to get home safe so have a water and shut up really yeah and also <laughs> there's a huge financial penalty oh, exactly. if you Absolutely. Keep yeah. carry on serving somebody irresponsibly <laughs> Absolutely. so um which you uh, individually yeah not not the business but yeah. you as the bar server would uh wear that um what a happy note to end on. I know. I was trying to think <laughs> no. of something really uplifting, but no, no, I'm kind of, no. yeah. I, 
I'm, I'm amazed that um, I, I think just having a short conversation with a bar staff, and you know, obviously situations don't always allow for that loud music, busy oh, Saturday nights. Yeah. Not that I go out on a Saturday night <laughs> anymore. Um, but, it, it, you know, I think just spending that time just to talk um, and to connect with who's serving you because, you know, I think that barrier of the bar the physical barrier oh, is a barrier yeah. to a this. It's a barrier, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's like, you've got what I want. Yeah. Um, so it's, yeah, it's the power dynamics we could talk about oh, all night, but we won't. Um, <laughs> you also have a favorite receptacle to drink beer out of. Have you got, oh a, gosh, have you got something I? that you, and also a snack that you prefer Ooh, to okay. have with your beers? I think in terms of snack, with this list, I've kind of I've, I've veered pretty hoppy on this list. Um, so in honor of my trip back to the states, I might say buffalo chicken, but like the tenders, not the wings. <laughs> what, what's the difference? <laughs> like that? boneless. Oh, so okay, like, okay. Picture like a really big chicken nugget. <laughs> And what's, but covered in barbecue <laughs> and uh, buffalo sauce. <laughs> what's buffalo sauce? Is it like a smoky It's like a... I've never had buffalo. Ooh. Uh, yep. I it's haven't like, eaten meat for the last 20 uh, yeah, years okay. plus. So. Um, buffalo cauliflower is also delicious. You can set oh, that really? one in. It is basically Frank's red hot sauce and butter and garlic. It's bright orange. <laughs> well, well, it's, 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 <laughs> it's like spicy and just yum. And you have it with blue cheese or ranch. Your choice. <laughs> sounds appalling it but is, i would like yeah. to eat it <laughs> it's probably it's like objectively disgusting you can get them out here though you can get okay. like wings out here it depending on where you go but mm. um yeah i think that's probably what i would pair with most things on that list yeah and anything that you'd what's the um glass or device that you reach for most commonly that you most enjoy drinking beer out of i don't even know um Blair has recently gotten those um, Harmony glasses, like the little kind of wine-shaped ones. He's gotten little ones, they're like 375 mil or something. Um, and they were the, the Happy Festival um, ones from, from New Zealand from this year that couldn't go ahead. And I love drinking out of those, but I think in general, probably just like a, a schooner size, like we'd call them a, a Boston shaker, like a pint. We'd call it a pint, but it's only 16 ounces, so it's not quite a, a British pint or a an Australian Boston pint. shaker. Yeah, it's I like haven't the, heard that before. Um, yeah, it's like the it's like what you would put. Um, I'm pointing at it like people can see it. But like, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. This like, is the visual side of an audio yeah, format. Yeah. It's like if you if you picture the the bottom tin in um in a cocktail shaker. Yeah, it's like that. It's a very standard stock standard. Reminds me of all the bars that I drank at when I first started drinking beer a good one and they don't break when you drop them i mean they do obviously but like more bounce to them than <laughs> look we'll we'll give it a go on yeah. the way out of here <laughs> see, see how popular that is yeah. um thanks so much josie it's Thank been an absolute pleasure me. and um look we'll keep in touch and perhaps we will have that conversation as a special <laughs> podcast about the inequities of working in hospitality i'll let you know if anything has changed when i get back <laughs> over there i have a feeling it hasn't <laughs> yes yeah we'll, we'll we'll see we'll see hopefully there is some progress um but thank you so much for coming on the chosen thank room you so much for having me oh, it's fantastic so that was it josie martin i told you it'd be fun um it was interesting that when we finished the interview and put away the recording equipment we carried on the discussion about the power dynamic the hospitality industry how people can help 
and you smooth over those differences. Um, and Josie was talking a bit about the difference between the Australian and US experience. So talking about the power dynamic, um, you know, you might mean that as the difference between the patron and the wait staff or the drinker or the bartender. Um, but what it's really referring to, Josie said, was that a lot of the time it's actually systemic issues that exist outside of that one interaction that feed in to that issue. So, for example, in the US, the tipping system, uh, that creates a massive chasm between the server and the patron. And also within that, you have the difficulties and the social challenges of race, of class, of gender, and that feeds into an even more uneven footing, which is a terrible situation to be in if you're that server, if you're that person. And Josie also commented on Australia, but particularly New Zealand, about it's better recognising that people might choose to explore hospitality as a career and not just as a means to a different end. Um, and it's interesting that Josie's experience in the US was that if you work in hospitality, people say, oh, what else do you do? Whereas they accept that you can work hospitality as a career here. And we kind of touched on that during the interview, I felt that I asked that question about because hospitality is one of those jobs that people pick up, um, you know, when they're a student or when they're um, studying, working part time, working a day job, maybe want some extra income. It seems to be that that's a, a job that you can fall into um, working in hospitality. But that kind of does undermine the idea that to be a good bar staff or a to pour drinks or to serve people is a highly skilled occupation. It takes a lot of people skills. It takes a lot of knowledge, a lot of skill. If you're making cocktails, if you're serving whiskeys, if you're serving craft beer, if you're serving anybody food, then there's a lot of care, a lot of knowledge that needs to go into that to provide a high quality service for the patrons. So it is a really interesting conversation and and I found it also really interesting that and it does happen when I interview people that the conversation just runs and runs after the microphones have gone away and I kind of think oh I should have kept them running but hey that's what part of the uh, occupational hazard of um, doing podcasts and and getting along with people as well but Josie was a fantastic guest so thank you so much um please share this podcast as well uh, with people who might be interested. There are so many brilliant beer journeys and beer stories, and I've received so many messages from people over the years just about their own beer journey, about how they can feel intimidated by the craft beer scene and overwhelmed, and how this podcast can kind of acknowledge that beer journey and the, the mainstream and the pointy end of craft and that we're all on that journey and it's it's a complex beast so we have to you know work through it and acknowledge all the differences that can happen and um also all the other uh, rubbish that happens around it as well hopefully it cuts through
but if you do want to share your beer journey with me um, via email, you can send it through the website, thechosenbrewau.com, or you can email me directly, thechosenbrewau at gmail.com, or you just send me a message on Instagram, Twitter, um, Facebook as well. I don't use all of those platforms uh, very keenly, but I will get back to you if you send me a message through. And as I say, please do share the podcast uh, with anybody who you think might be interested because I'm sure there's a lot of episodes there where people can relate to some people's beer journeys and personal stories as well. Hope you enjoyed that little chat at the end. Um, <laughs> I don't normally, I don't always go on, um, but I thought it was appropriate in this episode and great to hear somebody's experience uh, from outside of Australia and how they can reflect and compare hopefully I'll get to speak to Josie when she returns back to the US and maybe we can find out you know was it a shock uh that maybe American beer isn't miles ahead now maybe Australian beer uh can certainly stand on its own internationally and in really the home of craft beer in the US I really am rambling on now so I will bring it to an end thanks so much for listening I really appreciate it get in touch. I'll speak to you next time. Can't wait for the next episode.